0: Hey, friend. And welcome to another episode of the U Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career and life coach, as well as a Forbes columnist and the founder of Cake Publishing Ghostwriting House. I created the U Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again we wake up and realize our life has been going on autopilot and it's time to make a U Turn. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, whether it's best selling authors, CEOs, coaches, professors, you name it. They're all here to help you grow and upgrade your life, whether it's in work, whether it's in love or your mindset. So make sure you stay tuned for the end of every episode where I reflect on the conversation and offer you actionable coaching insights to have an impact on your life. Now let's get started with this week's guest. Hey everybody, it's Ash here, and I am on the line with Martin Yate, who is a fascinating unicorn and the founder of knockemdead.com, that's K-N-O-C-K-E-M-D-E-A-D.com. He has 85 editions of 18 books published, uh, of over 100 editions in 63 foreign languages. I just asked him how many countries that it's in, and we we don't even know. So that pretty much says it all, um, that he's just making an impact, and it's so massive that it's hard to even keep track of. Um, But I'm so honored to have him here, and we're going to talk about the fact that robots are taking over, so what do we do? What can you do to secure your career for the future? Martin, you're so crazy. Thank God you're on this show, and I'm so scared. I'm crazy.
1: You're about to say about me. (laughs) i never got kicked out of preschool for headbutting
0: oh god everyone i made the mistake of telling martin that i was kicked out of preschool for headbutting which is 100 percent true and so now he's got dirt on me but you know what martin before we started recording i'm like hey i can't hear your voice very well and he's like oh well i'm outside with the hummingbirds and it's like dude this is a podcast Just get it together you're such a I'm unicorn. I'm an old
1: man. I'm 127 next birthday.
0: Oh my god. Well, you know, robots are taking over, and you're just going to outlive us all with all your books <laughs> that you've written. Um, I'm so excited. And I know you know some scary statistics that is going to make all of us just, you know, shit our pants. So. What can you tell us about the future of the workforce for everybody who's listening and thinking they've got their cushy job, they're climbing the ladder? What, what do you see in the future of the workforce?
1: I, I, I see some stats which, which can be scary, but uh, I hope what we're going to talk about is how we can turn scary stats to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, if, if anyone listening today has had any career advice at all, which most people haven't, You know, there's one career services person for every 3,000 students at a public university. You went to an Ivy League school, there's one person for every 900. And you don't know where the office is, and it's actually down the basement. It's that tin door behind the boiler, and you have to knock three times. So no one's really had any career management experience. Mm. All we know is... Get an education, get a job, start at the bottom, work hard, be loyal, make sacrifices, and you'll be rewarded with increasing responsibility and long-term employment. And that's bullshit. Mm. It's rubbish, and it doesn't work, and it's ridiculous, and there's a new approach. The reason we've got to pay a special attention to career management now is if you're a millennial, you are entering the most insecure workplace there has ever been in the modern world. Let me give you some stats. Um, Forrester Research, and they're a company that does research on the impact of technology on society. It's Anything they publish is kind of like it was carved on tablets of stone and came down from Mount Ararat. And they said in a report last year that by 2027, Sixteen percent, one six percent of all jobs in all professions at all levels are going to be replaced by robotics and artificial intelligence. It's not bad news because they're going to create nine percent new jobs. Mm. My guess, Ash, is that it's either those jobs are going to be in artificial intelligence or polishing robots.
0: Okay. The
1: The worldwide stats is this revolution that's going on under our noses right now is going to cause a job loss of upwards of three quarters of a billion jobs.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: So we got to do something different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Needless to say. Um, Oh, and if you could get closer to the mic or yell a little more, I would love that, Martin. (laughs) But all good. Um, Well, and... For everybody listening, you know, I would hate to I'm hard pressed to tell people, hey, why don't you rethink your you know, people who are in college right now, for example, or about to enter into college? I'm hard pressed to tell someone to rethink their career options for artificial intelligence if that's not where they're pulled, given that there's still a large percentage of the workforce that's going to be intact. But what what do you think is going to be the first to go to the robots? <laughs>
1: Well, it depends on the different areas. I mean, we're seeing it now in Home Depot and, uh, you know, all the big box stores. Uh, people are being re- re- replaced by little handheld machines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, the, the first thing that's going to go is long-distance trucking, right? Those long-haul drivers from the ports uh, uh, to central locations, they're all going to be driverless cars. Wow. I think anything that depends on data and logic, so logistics immediately springs to mind, is going to be impacted. But, you know, even doctors and lawyers are going to be impacted.
0: Well, this this actually gets me to ask, though, I mean, and I obviously I come from the dark side, having worked in counterterrorism, and I didn't do any cyberterrorism, you know, research or anything like that. Um, But... Isn't it to say that with all of these self-driving cars, that there's going to just be this massive rise in cyber attacks that create these accidents and things like that? I mean, what are your thoughts there on safety with this? Uh Ash will probably better qualified to answer that
1: one. I don't know. I, I am just looking at this and saying, all right, we have recessions every 7 to 10 years. The last one topped out at 10%, uh, hmm. like 10, 12 million people. Uh, uh, if we add in 16% job loss and a recession. We're talking about 20-plus uh, uh, percent unemployment, 26 million people. We've never had that in America.
0: Wow. And what year do you think that this will hit? What was the statistic? I know you said 16 years. But Is there an exact— by, by
1: 2027, we're talking about the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a recession sometime in there, mm-hmm. and every time we have a recession— that's when technology gets implemented in big waves.
0: Ah, necessity creates the innovation, I see. Okay. Yeah. And
1: can, can, I say, can, can I say something about what you were saying about, about majors and changing majors? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not practical to change to artificial intelligence or robots. I'm ADHD, like ADHD shot out of a cannon.
0: Yeah, I know. I found that out in a few emails with you that there's a severe ADHD thing going on, but I, I have no judgment.
1: Well, you, you, you know you know the term fubar.
0: Yeah, I do. Fucked up beyond all repair. Is that the fubar you're referring to? Yeah.
1: All yeah. recognition is the way I understood.
0: Okay. Recognition, repair. You
1: pick the, your poison. The, the neat thing is... If you know how you are wired, and you accept that the fact we're all wired weird in some way, you can find what turns what you've been told is a curse into a supercharger. Yes. Now, I grew up as ADHD before it was even diagnosed. You know, I was born in the 1700s, after all. (laughs) Um, And uh, I spent my lifetime being told, you talk too much, you're bouncing off the wall, sit down, you're never gonna to amount to anything. Mm. You start too many things, you never finish them. Hey, 85 editions, 18 books, two optical patents. last dance with the professional ballet company when I was 55. Don't you tell me I can't see things through. Mm. Now, if you look at job postings today, One of the most common requirements in every job posting is multitasking. Mm -hmm. You read about multitasking, it says how multitasking is ruining everyone's life running from one project to another. Mm -hmm. You know what's the core trait of ADHD? Our minds jump. We get bored and think of something else. We multitask naturally. And if you do ADHD, uh, a Google search, ADHD famous, ADHD celebrity, you'll see a lot of people. And you can do it with Asperger's as well or OCD, uh, uh, whatever you've got. And you will find that there's a huge amount of people who make meaningful change in the world, are miswired in today's concept of what is proper wiring and what is miswiring.
0: Mhm, mm-hmm. So many people are in shame about things that really could be shifted into a talent. Um, and that reminds me, you know, a lot of the time when people get fired or laid off, I think, well, what did they tell you? That was the issue. And, and then the second thought I have is why aren't you celebrating that as feedback that maybe there's an opportunity to grow, but maybe it's just feedback that that's not where you belong and that you are going to be brilliant somewhere else. So many people hold so much shame but, and have this belief that we're supposed to be everything uh, when that's just so not the case. We're all uniquely so wired. Do you have any feedback on how people can get more connected to where their best calling is or where their best use of their energy is?
1: I've got a couple of responses to that. Um, there's a, um, uh, an aptitude test. Um, uh, there's a number of them you can take. And you want to look at aptitude tests rather than skill tests. Because aptitude tests look at what you like to do, what you're good at, on the basis that if you like to do something, you're going to be good at it. And then they match it to careers. I've taken a number of these. I ended up having failed in five businesses while I built a professional career uh, as a writer. And writer was in every aptitude, it was in the top three of every test I've taken, and I've taken a lot of them. So there is a matter of identifying who you are and owning it and seeing what the traits of it are. And then I'd go Google and see who else has got that and see how they've turned it into success. Because however you are, there are other people like you, and that miswiring can be the special source, the secret ingredient, the supercharger of your success.
0: Mm, Amazing. And I know that when I was talking to you before we started recording, You said one of your things, you know, because we were saying, okay, robots are taking over, so what the hell do we all do? And the first step was, you know, and you kind of surprised me with this, Martin, saying that we should climb the ladder, we should continue with that, but make sure you're you're pursuing side gigs. So I would love to hear a little bit more about this first piece of why are you recommending we still climb the ladder? Because me being a millennial, which I have all of the sides of a a typical millennial, I have the part of me that wants leverage and doesn't want to do the work and wants to have purpose. The other part of me, That has a lot of ideas and wants to bring them to life. Um, So I understand climbing the ladder, but a lot of millennials, you know, as, and I hate to overgeneralize, but a lot of them are of the belief that we don't have to climb the ladder. We can hop jobs, get a huge pay raise and avoid having to pay our dues. So I would love to hear more from you because I know, you know, having written 1000 books in a billion countries that you've got a few things to say about this. So do tell.
1: Well, as a decrepit old fart, I have this to say on that. You can't get away without paying your dues. Okay. You've probably got to start at the bottom. You know my first interview in America? uh, After 10 minutes, the guy stood up and stretched out his hand and said, Mr. Ye, it's been a pleasure to meet you this morning, but until you walked into my office 10 minutes ago, I wasn't out on the street looking for a new job right and, and and that's we're raised in this culture of instant gratification those stories you read in people and us uh those pop stars at 18 years old they're not overnight successes they've been working at disney as entertainers since they were 7 right overnight success doesn't happen it happens at all very very rarely mm-hmm. so I say pursue a professional career. It doesn't matter what level it's at. It really doesn't matter. But pursue it because you need to put food on your table and a roof over your head unless you're going to spend the rest of the days living in mom's basement.
0: Mm, Beautiful.
1: It gets difficult to date by the time you're 25 if you're living in your mom's basement. You look
0: like a loser. Would you know, Martin, would you know? Was that a reality for you?
1: Oh, no. I was sent away to prison at the age of eight.
0: Oh, perfect. That sounds great. I'm so glad now, this is on Skype. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I went to uh, what you call military school. England, in their typical double speak, calls public school. Uh, <laughs> it's actually military school. Um, and I stayed there until I was expelled at the age of 16. Mm. See, I made it much further through my first expulsion than you did, Ash. Oh,
0: wow. Wow, and wow, I, wow.
1: I, I got it in, in, in the interest of transparency. I got expelled for smoking and drinking <laughs> at wearing shirts that had the collars attached to them.
0: <laughs> God forbid. Yeah, no
1: collar studs.
0: You're so priceless. Do you know what's so funny? As you're talking, I'm realizing that um, I don't know if you remember my friend. Her name is Amanda Pouchot, and she founded Lavo League. Yes, yes. Um, and now that I'm talking to you, I'm remembering that years ago she said, God, we had the best guy ever on office hours at Levo League. And she said, this guy, Martin Yate. And I'm realizing it's you right now because you're cracking me up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, years ago I heard about how entertaining you are. and Here I am recording with you.
1: <laughs> hey, say hello next time you speak. Bro.
0: Oh, yeah, she's so fun. Um, and, and as far as side gigs go. So you said, make sure to pursue side gigs. So if you're ADHD, like you are Martin or me, you know, everything feels like it could be a side gig. So what do you recommend for people to kind of hone in on what they can put their energy into on the side while they're climbing the ladder in their corporate job?
1: Well, side gigs start with one or two things. I want to be a bass player in the band, or I got to make some extra money. So any idea is a good idea as long as you can see somewhere down the road maybe there's a way I can make some money out of this. I give you a couple of illustrations.
0: Yes, please. I would love that.
1: A number of years ago, I met a woman. She was 28 years old. She was in accounts receivable in New Jersey, Uh, and she drove a brand new Lexus. Which someone in accounts receivable couldn't possibly afford. So uh, I was writing a book at the time about this idea of the side gig economy 25 years ago before it became a common term. And we were doing uh, um, research on what it took to be successful in these different paths: A core, core professional career, an entrepreneurial side gig career, and pursuing your dreams. And I said... How the hell did you drive a Lexus? Are you embezzling money?
0: You did not. You walked up to this woman yeah. and you just said it. No.
1: It was on the telephone.
0: Oh, you're such a creature. I'll, I'll okay. You awesome. It. Perfect.
1: Cheers. She was one of our subjects.
0: She could have and, had a sugar daddy or a sugar mommy in this day and age. But she,
1: you know, it would have been much easier, right? Uh, you know, where's mine? Where's my sugar mommy? I want
0: <laughs> well, right now, let's just consider this podcast interview the perfect advertisement for your sugar mommy, Martin. You're killing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've got daddy issues, I'm here.
0: Oh, God. Uh, Save us all.
1: Now let 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 us let, get back to the accounts uh, accounts receivable. Yes. Uh, because this is brilliant. Uh, she had a grandfather who was the town's local silversmith, which meant he sold engagement rings, wedding rings, and mended people's clocks and watches. And she remembers a Saturday mornings, a lot of Saturday mornings, sitting on his knee while he fixed people's clocks. He died. He passed on. No one wanted his tools. She was so fond of him, she had his tools. They sat in her closet for 12 years. And one night she comes home from work and she was left a clock by the, the granddad, and it had stopped working. And she turned on the TV. Most people watch five hours of television a night. Those are the statistics in America. You've mm. got to stop doing that. It, all it does is make you watch life whiz by on the silver screen. Much better that you listen to someone like Ash do something with your life. Mm. So the TV's on, and she has this idea, oh, my God, I've got the tools. I wonder if I could fix the clock. And she said... 12 o'clock that night, the, the clock's in bits on the coffee table. It's not fixed. And I haven't watched any TV.
0: Mm.
1: So I, I came home from work the next day. And in two nights, I'd got it fixed. And it was working. I'd managed to remember all those things Grandpa used to talk to me about. She said, a couple of weeks later, I find myself at a flea market. And I buy a broken clock. I take it home. And it takes me two or three nights and I fix it. And then I'm at another flea market and I buy two clocks. Six months later, I got so many bloody clocks, I don't know, you didn't say bloody, only the English say that word. Um, I got so many clocks, I didn't know what to do with them. So next time I went to the flea market, I asked how much a table was. And it was 20 bucks. So I gave him 20 bucks and I took my clocks and I did that for a year. And then I went to one of these antique malls and rented uh, a little space for 300 bucks a month and I became an antique dealer of clocks and watches. And I've still got my job in accounts receivable, but you know what was just something I did for joy and stopped me watching the stupid boob tube, it turned into a completely new social life for me And it's made me three times as much money as my other job gets. I'll still keep doing it. I enjoy messing with numbers, but I have these two parallel careers. And that's just one example of taking something you think you can do and turning it into a buck. Because that's the only real financial security any of us have, Ash, when you bring a buck in your own front door.
0: Amazing. And... I think that's hard for a lot of people with their mindset, you know, because if you're used to making, you know, $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year in your job, the concept of being able to create that in in just months, cre- doing something on the side, it, it, it's like it, it takes a whole rewiring of your brain to see that and to feel that. Um, so, I mean, how can somebody get started? Because the story you share is more haphazard. But let's say somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, you know what? I want to create something on the side that's intentional, that inspires me. Um, I'm going to look at my hobbies and figure out which one I enjoy enough to pursue for fun and then try to make some money off of it. What would be a recommendation for that mindset shift or how to kind of sift through all of the things that somebody's interested in? Hey, U-Turner, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode is brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, the e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, head on over to jobofferacademy.com. Now back to this week's episode.
1: The first thing is recognize it's a marathon. It's not a sprint
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: I'm here today I've been an author made my living writing books for 33 years longer than most of your folks have, have, have been alive
0: Yep, uh, including me I'm 31 all
1: right it took me 20 years to get published it's a marathon
0: mm-hmm.
1: I had I first went bankrupt with my first business when I was 16 Wow. I was making leather bags and leather belts and macrame baskets and selling them at rock and roll concerts so that I could get in and buy some good drugs for the weekend.
0: (laughs) What a strategy. Yeah. You're unbelievable. It was was great.
1: Right? (laughs) Oh my God. I, I, I went bankrupt for the second time at the age of 90 when I was a rock and roll producer. Right? I was doing great. So I put on a whole day concert. right? Um, which I did. Uh, and it well, we were jammed from six till midnight. Problem was I needed it to be jammed from 12 till noon to make any money. And I left it with five pounds. That was $10 in those days. That's all I had to my name. You are going to fail. Mm. Ideas are going to fail. Recognize that. And the fact that we do not learn from our successes, we learn from our failures. So those failures are good. They will help you keep going. There's a company called Dow Chemical Ash, Mm -hmm. big chemical company in the world. Henry Dow went bankrupt five times before he got that sucker off the ground.
0: You know what's so tough about this though, Martin, is that nobody wants to talk about failure when they're failing. They wanna talk about it after they're done failing and they've bounced back, (laughs) right? (laughs) And, and
1: facing, you say you want to curl up in a ball and hide under the stairs.
0: Totally. I've been there. I mean, I have failed so bad. My first company, um, I had a job hunting e-course and, and it, we blew up. But then our lead costs tripled and our profit margins got thinner and I had a massive team and a lot of advertising spend every day and I couldn't swing it at a certain point years in and years in. And... It was like, you know, I could cry in fetal position on the floor, but then I had to handle the situation. And thankfully, because of it, I felt so much pain that now I'm not afraid of failure anymore because I'm like, oh, I've cried enough. I have felt it enough. Now it doesn't even scare me. I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. I know what it tastes like. I don't have a story in my head about it anymore. It's not like this boogeyman in my closet. And so I think a lot of people, you know, everyone, you know, for me, what I learned is that my success is directly tied to my comfort level with failure, because the more comfortable I am with it, the more I can move forward and not let it hold me back.
1: Say that again. Say that again. That is a really important statement.
0: Yes, my success is directly tied to my comfort level with failure. I really believe that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's. Ash, that is spot on. Being able to embrace failure, it's the most difficult thing, and it's hard to do at the time. But everything you fail at in life will help you succeed with that project or another one down the line. Failures, you know the only people who don't make mistakes and fail? They're people who do nothing. They sit in dark rooms and watch the television. Mm-hmm. They watch life whiz by on the screen while they're pumped every day with the TV, with their computer screen, with what they say is 2000 advertising messages a day. And they all say, buy this product. You need it now. You will be taller, thinner, sexier. People will like you more. And by gosh, you deserve it. Just spend your money now.
0: Yeah. Well
1: so what and do you recommend for everybody who's live up to your dreams, not your income.
0: Well and you know what that you're really saying as well through these advertisements is the message is is be this, be this, be this. But under that message is you're not enough. So how do you You know, because a lot of people, you know, you see the the, the prettier, the skinnier, the richer, the funnier, the better. And it's a constant message of you're not good enough for people listening who haven't worked on their mindset that they're going to buy into that. So how do you recommend that we shift our relationship with failure? Because for me, my only advice is go through enough pain, feel your pain enough where the pain is so unbearable that you kind of get tired of it because you've cried long enough that you're suddenly not afraid of it anymore. That was my experience, was most people spend their lives, like um, Emerson said, in a quiet state of desperation, and they're pushing down their pain and feeling life the 50 percent level whereas for me when i started failing i let myself feel the whole thing i didn't push it down i talked about it i cried about it Um, so that would be my recommendation but do you have any recommendations for everybody listening who's thinking okay i would love to be less afraid of failure i would love to pursue a side gig that could maybe make me money at some point um but i'm i'm still afraid of failure is what it is what would be your recommendation for them to shift that
1: okay the two responses the first one hey guys Can you imagine going to visit Ash? She wants you to be comfortable with pain and failure. We knock on the front door, it opens, and there is a six-yard bed of burning barbecue coals we have to walk over before we're welcomed into our home (laughs) to make sure we can be comfortable with pain and failure. But you're so right. My best advice on this is be careful what you let into your mind what's better i mean i love the walking dead i think it's a great show hey you know why it's shot in georgia tell me where i have a home there's no cost for special effects makeup
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right um, uh, the most important thing you can do is manage the messages that go into your head remember this concept of live up to your dreams don't live up to your income so you don't watch Walking Dead you listen to Ash's podcast religiously mm. you listen you put positive information into your head you don't let that information says you're not good enough unless you buy this mm. you invest your time in making sure the messages that get inside your head and influence your every action are ones that are going to help you work towards your goals.
0: hmm. And when that doesn't work, you can pick up a, a version of Knock em Dead, whether it's job interview for first-time job seekers, cover letters, social networking. There's so many great things you have out there, Martin. And I'm curious... <clears throat> You also said, as a second point, after climbing the ladder, but making sure to pursue side gigs, using that central career that you have, where you're climbing the ladder, as training to run a business. So, you know, this kind, this one kind of blows my mind because my my first corporate or my second corporate job was in the Pentagon with no windows, and so for me, I think, how am I going to learn how to run a business in here? You know, because the government is not exactly a well-run business. so you tell me, what, how can we approach our jobs in our day-to-day life right now as a place to learn business skills?
1: Okay, you, you don't do what I do.
0: <laughs> well, that sounds like a trend.
1: <laughs> right? And what, what we tend to do, we're all tribal. We work in sales. boo
0: We get on with
1: the people in sales, and we all love to say that the people in accounting are bloody idiots mainly because they keep sending our expense reports back and denying things. We deny the value of other people's work. I uh, I have a friend, I've known this guy for many, many years. He is one of the greatest lighting directors in the business. He has never achieved the success he really deserves because – all he talks about is how stupid the actor is, how stupid the director is. Everything is lighting-centric. He doesn't see the value of the other people. Mm. Now, my greatest weakness and the thing, the reason I said don't do what I did, my greatest weakness is my inability with numbers. If I recognize that, wait a minute, I don't have accounting degree, uh, having, being an entrepreneur is in my blood it's going to happen one day or another I keep shooting at it I've got to be able to do the numbers hmm. if I'd known that then I would have gone out of my way to make friends with the guys in accounting and I say guys meaning guys and girls I, I hope you understand
0: <laughs> you're, you're waiting for somebody to troll you and say why did you just say guys <laughs>
1: right. And if I say, "folks," it sounds like, "Oh my God, what a hit from the deep south!" Well, um, hey, <laughs> <laughs> you lose either way, right? Um, you need to recognise, and if I'd done that, I would have got to know people in accounting, and I'd been able to have someone I could ask the stupid questions of,
0: hmm.
1: and I would have been a lot. I would, I wouldn't have wasted nearly as much money as I have over the years. Running companies inefficiently, mm. right? So you you look at you know I, I don't like this company, I don't like this business, but you know what? They've got all these different departments, and they all help the company make money, and I know that's true because the paycheck don't bounce. Mm. So the more I can get to know the people in the other departments and what their function is, and become friends and colleagues with them. The better I'm going to be at my job, the more influence I will have outside of my immediate realm. And it will also help me in pursuing my side gigs and turn them into entrepreneurial businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. When it comes to running a business, what are so managing numbers, learning numbers, but some people, they're sitting in their job and they're very removed from it and it's it would be kind of off-color to... Walk in and say, can you show me your number sheets and teach me? So so what would you suggest from a mindset standpoint for somebody who, let's say, is at a big company working in marketing and uh, their marketing team and they want to learn how to run a business through their company? What would be one step or a conversation or person they should could talk to and learn from that they could take?
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, the- they need to go back to about 10,000 feet and look down and say, wait a minute, there's all these people do all these different jobs in all these different departments. And if I have my own company, number one, I don't pull the trigger on it till the last possible moment. I don't quit this job till I've got another income stream going. Mm-hmm. And then I run it part time nights and weekends for as long as I can. Mm hmm. You don't affect my financial, my economic stability until the last possible moment. And then you look at this and you say, wait a minute, I'm in marketing. They have all these people, all these things. I have my own business. I'm going to be the CEO, the president, the chief marketing officer, the chief cook and the bottle washer. And I'll have to empty the trash cans. How the hell am I going to do all that? And it is one of the biggest challenges if you have your own business. You have no business. And you spend all your time marketing, or you ha- and you think I'm never going to make another buck, or you have business and you don't have time to do marketing, so you know in a few months you're not going to have any clients.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And looking at it ahead of time, you begin to think of things like multitasking and time management and organization so that you plan that on this part-time basis, okay, I'm going to spend uh, two hours every night on this project and I'm going to spend Saturdays on it. You know, Mm. I remember when I bought my first book, I was uh, sanding, I was in the garden, sanding a fireplace down with an electric sander. You know, I was working on one of my side gigs, which was doing old properties. Mm. Uh, uh, So you need to keep the focus on what can i do what are the things i don't like to do that i will have to do and how do i make it all happen in a limited time and you really have to live by the clock you if you've got a client doesn't matter what it takes you have got to make a couple of hours every day to be marketing to be selling your, uh, to to be selling your wares uh, now this is much easier today than it ever was I mean, we're heading into these terrible times, but we have the internet.
0: Mm.
1: I write books. I have an e-commerce business. We do resumes and coaching. Mm. And and I have, I mean, I could be in a cornfield in Iowa. This quarter, we've got clients from Perth, Australia to some town in Mongolia. I couldn't pronounce if you held a gun to my damn head, (laughs) right? All because of the internet. Yeah. You can have an international business. And whatever business you have, right? You're going to have a website. I got an electrician. Where did I find him from? I found him on the internet. Google. Right? You gotta have a website. And maybe you use that that, that website as a start to building a business plan. Well, I gotta have a website. What am I gonna call it? You're not going to call it knockanddead.com because you've got to spell that crap out. You're going to have an internet-friendly name. So clearly I I was in this business before the internet came along, and I had a brand I had to protect. Uh, What am I going to sell? Who am I going to sell it to? What's going to be on the homepage? Uh, What services am I going to deliver? How much am I going to charge for them? You can use building that website, which you're going to need one day. Uh, as a place to start looking at the practicalities of it, rather than starting with a business school proposition of writing a business plan, which would send anyone into a catatonic stupor,
0: mm. you can
1: achieve pretty much the same thing by practical applications. I'm going to have to have a website. Uh, it would be smart to have an e-commerce website, which means I can accept PayPal and accept. Credit card. You can do all this over time. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to have the idea tonight and quit in five months. We are talking about your life. You're 32. Let's say your youngest listener is 20 years old. You're all at the beginning of what's going to be a half century work life. You're going to work till you're early 60s, 60, 65. That used to be the official retirement date. Mm-hmm. People are living longer now. And you know what happens? Husband and wives work. They reach 65 and retired. And if they don't murder each other in the first six months from suddenly <laughs> being together 24 hours a day, they just, after six months, they want to get out and do something. They want to have meaning in their lives. And And doing work of some kind, making a difference, making a contribution of some kind helps you in yourself uh, of having a sense of meaning in your life, of Mm. having a fulfilled life. But it's something you have to be prepared to pursue over time because it don't happen overnight.
0: Mm. Wonderful. And, you know, speaking of you made one point, I mean, you made a lot of points, but one point that really stood out for me was, you know, I've coached a lot of entrepreneurs in starting their business. And one of the things I always say is there's no look worse than needing a client. Desperation is not (laughs) going to, to make your business thrive. So I recommend that part time job that pays your bills. So that, and that's another option, by the way, that we haven't discussed is if somebody has a side gig and they know their living expenses, if it's possible, you can calculate for a part time job. Because a lot of people, I think, have a belief that if something's part time, it's not as good as a full time job. Like the options aren't as ideal. But there's a lot of awesome companies with awesome jobs and they simply don't have a 40 hour work need, but they have 20 hours a week that they need somebody. And so I think that exploring that part-time job could also be really exciting for a lot of people who, you know, want to keep climbing the ladder in a central career, but want to make space for that side business if they can afford to um, and cover their bills.
1: Oh, Doug, you said so many things that are so good. I want to come to that, but Paul, you made a comment before about Uh, Let's deal with this one. You've got got to pursue the side gig. Uh, There are skills you you develop at work. When you go out on your own, there is nothing wrong with continuing to do on a part-time, a temp, or a contractual basis the stuff you used to do. When I went out as a writer, my first book had been published and I told my employer I was going to quit unless they gave me this much money in this title and they thought I was joking and I quit and, you, and they spent three months trying to get me back. They, they offered me almost double my salary and only had to come in three days a week. I didn't do it, but you know who was my first client? They were. Mm. I, used to, I used to write the training manuals for every company I worked for. And my first year or two in business, my royalty checks wouldn't have bought coffee for the two of us in Starbucks, Ash. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I made the money from writing manuals for companies. And, and when you have to invest a portion of your time every week doing PR and marketing and you never know what's going to work you know i've been a writer for many years that the goal was to get on oprah i've done most shows i've been booked on oprah twice and bumped never done it but you don't know where the business is coming from i used to do this radio show at one o'clock in the morning in texas and i did it for three or four years and i used to so why am i staying up why am i doing this station i've got six damn cowboys and fifty thousand head of cattle that's my audience. Why are they having me on? Why are they doing it? Why am I doing this? Right? Third year in, I get a call from England. And this chap says, hi, my name is Joel Richardson, and we have a moving company, and we were in Texas on vacation, and we heard you on a radio show as we were driving through the night. And we wondered if you would write a relocation manual for us, 10000 bucks." Hmm. Amazing. Sorry, £10,000, $20,000 at the time. Yeah, you don't know where the business is going to come from, but you've got to invest part of your time every day, every week in marketing, no matter what you're doing.
0: Yes, yes, I love this. I love this. And, you know, your third point that we talked about before we started recording was just around having a fulfilling life. And I love this one because what's the damn point? You know, like we all... Yeah are not here to just work and be these empty souls. So what does that mean?
1: We're told you're meant to follow your bliss and, and love your job, right? That's rubbish. We work for money so we can have a life outside of work.
2: Yeah, I
0: think there's a whole misunderstanding right now going on around work being tied to life purpose. And yes, having something to do is purposeful, but I think what's happening is that so many people spend so many hours working that they want to make it mean something. Uh, And that's great, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your life purpose is in your work. Um, All that being said, you know, we talked about how pursuing your dreams, you know, if anything, so you know people other than those everyday accountants or, you know, turn your dreams into income streams or pursue hobbies with the same enthusiasm that you'd put into a career. So Could you talk a little bit more, paint a picture about what does it look like for somebody in in a world where robots are taking over to have a fulfilled life?
1: It means pursuing the joys of life, the things that put juice in your life. And and let me start this with a cheat you can use to steal time for yourself. Because we're now in 24-7 communication, we're all working all hours, day and night. Right? People are sending emails at 9 o'clock at night and 7 o'clock in the morning. And if you don't, you look like you're not working, right? Everyone listening knows this because you're all doing it. This is what you do. You do the emails while you're at work at the end of the day while you're doing your planning for the next day. And then you just send them at 9 o'clock at night and 6 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) You don't have to be working that late. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you give them the best you can, uh, but you also steal time for your life. Did that answer your question? I think you wanted me to go in another direction.
0: No, that that got it. And I think, I think also just a lot of people, they might be in their job right now, and they might have a couple hobbies. But I imagine somebody listening right now is thinking, you know, my job in accounting, let's say, it's okay. I'm good at numbers. The day kind of goes by fast. It, you know, that's the, the high side of the spectrum, right? Because yeah. um, most people yeah. aren't that happy with their job. But let's it's say that, that that's somebody in the let, middle.
1: Let, let, let's take this accountant thing. Yes. Because I'm terrible at it, and it's really important. If I look back at my life, the last couple of hundred years, when I was at school, had they had such a thing, I, I should have become a CPA. You know why? Why? I was on a cruise last year, and we stopped in Belize, and we went to stay at my accountant's winter house for a week. I should have been a bloody CPA, right? So if you're an accountant, pursue something like a CPA, because you can always hang up your own shingle, always have your own business, and you can work till you're my age, 120 bloody seven years old, and no one can take the money away from you. So whatever you do, is look at what you do at work. Is there something you could do with that with your own business without going head-to-head with this multinational, which is a fight you're never going to win? Yes. Now, and the accountant, become a CPA, great. Become a financial planner, they make money. But CPA, they do very well in life. Thank you, thank you much, Lee.
0: Mm. Right?
1: So, so you can use that job. You, you may love numbers in the beginning, but as the famous philosopher Keith Richards once said, you get bored with anything after a couple of hours.
0: <laughs>
1: but, but so you get bored with accounting. But if it's your own business, you can manage your own time. You, when we started, when he started, there were bloody hummingbirds and music in the background. Yeah, I was out by the pool taking a break. Uh I'm still in the count, I come in and do the accounting, but I don't go in high-rise buildings. You have control of your time. You can manage it. You can go and pursue your hobbies. you just got to get the work done, and mm. that's going to give you a fulfilling life. And do things that give you joy. I always wanted to learn. to ta- I love dancing. And after my first divorce, I decided I was going to start t- taking dancing lessons, and I do swing and cha-cha and rumba, anything with a beat. If he doesn't have a beat, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, never made any money out of it, but I, as the thing I mentioned, I last danced with a professional ballet company when I was 55 years old. How many of you imagine you can do that? And it was because touring ballet companies, when they're doing the Nutcracker, always opens with that party scene. Where do you think they get the kids and the party parents from? The local dance schools. Mm. Uh, guys said to me, hey, we're going to go on audition for the Nutcracker. You want to come? No, man, God is staying, you clean up my room. They called me four hours later, you're in, only three of us showed up. <laughs> so never made any money out of it, but got a lot of laughs out, out of it over the years. And I, I have the poster framed on the plaques, the brass plaque I had engraved for it says, my last appearance with the ballet, <laughs> <laughs> which is absolutely true. <laughs> Just misses that it was also my first. Right? Oh my
0: gosh, I'm picturing you in a tutu right now and it's just so good, so, so wrong, but it's so right.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you, you do things that give you joy. Yes. Can I give you another silly example?
0: Yes, please. I,
1: be- I became a recovering alcoholic many years ago mm-hmm. and um, I replaced one obsession with another. I started collecting Prohibition-era cocktail shakers and decanters, (laughs) as you Obviously.
0: As one does.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, And uh, I bought a website name a couple of years ago called prohibitionantiques.com. I have almost 100 cubic feet of prohibition paraphernalia. And in 2020, it's going to explode. It's 13 years of the most romantic period of American history. Jazz, blues, cocktail parties, organized crime, Rum Rummers, Gatsby, right? Uh, It's going to become a major area of collectibles. And what has given me joy for years, I'm gonna turn into an income stream. Mm. And that brings us back to, it don't happen overnight. But pursue things, and if they give you joy, that's reward enough. And maybe if one day they can turn into an income stream, all the better, babe.
0: Mm, Got it. Okay, that's amazing. You know, I met a woman a long time ago in one of my entrepreneur business groups, and it was when I was building out my career coaching practice probably six, seven years ago. And this woman was doing crazy numbers off of a Scottish Terrier figurine website. Literally, that was the moment that I was like, oh, my God, the woman is making 200K a year selling Scottish Terrier dog figurines on the Internet. Like, (laughs) there's room on top, people, for you to be the winner at creating the one website that is the go-to place for whatever weirdness you want to put on the website if you really set your mind to it. If,
1: if that if that was me and I'd heard that from her, I'd go down on my knees, I'd look up in the sky and clasp my hands and say, "Why me, Jesus? I work so bloody hard. Why are you giving it to a woman with Scotty dog figurines?"
0: No, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, not to worry. Um... <laughs>
1: no, but it's any idea is good. You know yeah. what? What's the most popular thing on YouTube? Cat videos.
0: God bless it. They're so funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, p- people like crazy things. Totally. If, it's, if, some, if, if, if there's a trend there or you can get the edge on a trend or get ahead of the curve, go for it. Mm. And, I... and, if you, and if you start looking at what people are doing or what people are making businesses out of, it's like feeding protein into your head. It will give you ideas.
0: Mm. And, I mean, you know, you, you have so much career advice to offer. I'm so curious. You know, what is the best career advice you've ever been given?
1: Number one, the customer's always right. Number two, find out what the customer wants and give it to them. That is at the heart of everything we do. Hmm. doesn't matter whether it's your professional job or your side gig. Whatever you do, you've got a customer and if you're going to make a buck, you better find out what they want so that you know what to sell them.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That
1: embraces it all. Yes. That, and the fact that don't be like I am, which is talk <laughs> much and too fast.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I love what you're saying about the customer always being right because here's the thing that I've seen in a lot of new entrepreneurs. Now that I'm on my third business, I'm I'm noticing these trends where – One of the biggest mistakes I see is they think, what am I good at? And I'm going to put my shingle, you know, in the ground. But really it's what do, what am I good at? And what does the customer want? Because instead of creating what you're good at and hoping people come, you want to think, what can I create that my ideal audience wants? So amazing advice. Um, and is there a question that I haven't asked you, Martin, that you think uh, I should be asking you for everybody who's listening?
1: There's another piece of incredible career advice I I, I, I forgot to give you. It's this. After I quit my job, the founder of that company had sold his company to TWA, and his contract had just worked out his three years, and he was off on his own. And he asked me to come to work for him as his assistant part-time. I thought, wow, this is one of the founders of franchising in America. Yeah. What I didn't realize is he wanted someone to carry his briefcase and polish his shoes. Um, But what he told me, one thing was really important, and it was this. Martin, it doesn't matter how you make your million as long as you make your million. You can make it selling franchises like I did, or you can make it selling rags, The richest woman in China, by the way, is in the recycling business. She sells rags, right? Um, And that, he said, it's like pinball. You shoot a ball up there, you hit the flippers, most of the time the ball bounces around and drops down the chute, you don't score a point. But every now and then you can get one that starts banging around between the 500 and the 1,000. If it's making money, go for it, son. Isn't that interesting?
0: Yeah, I'm so, I'm so grateful. And I know a lot of people listening right now, they want to find you. I mentioned knockemdead.com. Um, is there anywhere else people can go to find you uh, or contact you or work with your team? Um, just let us know. Everybody's probably has a pen in their hand at this point.
1: Yeah, um, you can get all my books at uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and any local bookstores except the ones that sell channeling crystals. I'm not very big there. I'm a wee bit on the practical side <laughs> and a wee bit salty, uh, but otherwise, knockemdead.com.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so, so much.
1: Who? You beautiful head-butter, you. (laughs) I know.
0: Honestly, I have some calls lined up today for my ghostwriting house, Cake Publishing, and i got to say, I wish every conversation was as entertaining as you. You're such a creature, Martin, and I think you know it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) creature. I I will take that as a compliment.
0: It is. It really is. Got to love a good creature. Thank you so much for your time and for this interview. I can't wait for everybody to uh, implement everything that they're going to learn.
1: Ash, thank you. And I wish you and everyone else the following. It's later than you think. Make good memories today and this weekend. And especially at the weekend, because it's later than you think. Always start at least one meal with dessert.
0: (laughs) That reminds me of Buddha's quote that the trouble is you think you have time. (laughs) There you go. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Hey, it's Ashley here and I am reflecting about the concept of not having enough experience and how to handle it when you feel like you're constantly coming up against the edge of not thinking you are enough in some way, whether it's your experience or anything else. And one of my favorite things that I've noticed through clients is that way too often we believe that what we have experience in is tied to what we're capable of. Uh, I've heard it all before, people say things like, well, I can't do that because I haven't done it before. And I really wanna question and pop that balloon that you're holding on to. if you are. Your experience and your capability are two completely separate orbits. And yes, your experience might help you become more capable in some way, but your capability is rooted in soft skills, your strength, your ability to communicate, your emotionality, your intelligence, and those things can't really be touched by Experience. I want to just take a moment to read a passage to you from a book called Real Love by Sharon Salzberg. And Sharon says, We only get one body in this life, the one we are each endowed with right this moment. Please begin by giving yours the respect it deserves. Did you realize that every atom in it is 14.5 billion years old? all bodies are a part of mad matter created at the big bang 10 billion years before earth appeared yes your overall body is composed of about seven octillion venerable atoms that's a seven with 27 zeros after it mostly produced by exploding stars you are literally stardust so is everything around you The water in this body seems to flow into your mouth from a fountain or a glass, then out through the pores and orifices. But like all waters of the earth, no one knows where it came from. Perhaps a comet's tail, it's said. And if you have gold fillings, know that your teeth carry a share of all the gold that exists in the universe, for the number of gold molecules is finite. Your body is not just mineral and elemental. No, it's vividly alive. As anyone knows who's ever danced, had a sore throat, made love, or stubbed a toe. Try to sense the skin around your body. Feel how alive it is. For this, you can thank a single-celled creature. I just wanted to tell you all, I wanted to read you this passage because it's just such a reminder that you are so much bigger than your experience. You are a walking miracle. And while we are here on this planet and each of us living our lives despite the miracle that we each are, I want to remind you the importance of considering what you're not choosing right now because you're believing that you don't have the experience. Uh, one thing that Sheryl Sandberg says in her book, Lean In, she talks about how women who are thinking about having a kid leave the workforce before they leave the workforce. And what it looks like is they refuse opportunities on the belief that, you know, they're leaving the workforce and they don't and they don't want to take on something that's going to ask more of them when they're thinking about leaving to have a kid. And in this way, Sheryl Sandberg says, don't leave before you leave. And I think that when we buy into the belief that we don't have enough experience, in a way we leave the workforce before we leave. We create a reality where all of a sudden we are robbing ourselves of the opportunities that we could have taken because we're believing that they're not available for the taking. So I wanna ask you right now, what are you opting out of because you believe you don't have the experience? And are you willing to consider the possibility that you're bigger? than your experience. You know, in the same way that the biggest illusion there is, is being an expert. I think another huge illusion is the illusion of time. You know, it's all made up in our heads. You know, the past is just a memory at this point. The future is not guaranteed. What's here is now, and right now in this moment, if you're willing to give yourself a massive gift, it's the gift of realizing that you are enough just as you are and that if you are willing to work your angles, there is a way in this physical world that you can hustle beyond just the the resume that you hold or the experience or the title that you hold. So I wanna invite you right in this moment to think about how you can examine your beliefs. And the first step is to write down what you believe about your experience like think about where is it holding you back and then just write it down I don't have enough experience doing this or that or that and because I don't have enough experience this is what it means just start to write down all of these thoughts that you have um, I don't I, I don't have the career that I want right now because I don't have experience doing XYZ and I need that experience because without it I am blah 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 just start to write out your beliefs and at the end I want you to forgive yourself for them I forgive myself for buying into the belief that I don't have enough experience. The truth is that this job may demand skills from me that are beyond just experience, but rather ingrained in my personality. I forgive myself for buying into the belief that I'm not enough. The truth is I'm more than enough. I'm a miracle. So I wanna invite you into that right now. And with that said, I'm just sending you a ton of love, heading over to Paris. I've been living in LA and Paris um, and just heading over to the airport to go back to Paris now and just really, really grateful to connect with you in this way. And as always, I would love to hear from you at Ashley Stall on Instagram. All right. Thanks so much.
2: and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosey, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.